I'd like to start this morning with a little bit of word association and just ask you what comes to mind when you hear these three labels. The first label is stranger. When you hear stranger, what kind of person do you apply that label to? Stranger. The next one is exile. When you think of exile, what do you think of? And thirdly, the last label I want you to think about would be alien. Stranger, exile, alien. Maybe you think stranger, that label goes to those people when you're a kid you're not supposed to talk to. Or for those of you who are very sophisticated, you think of uh, Camus in his writings, the stranger. Stranger, who gets that label? Who gets the label exile? Exile, I have enough old pop culture in my, my head, I think of the Rolling Stones album Exile on Main Street, but anyway, hopefully none of, anybody else think of that? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> corrupt minds think alike. Exile. An exile is somebody who's not welcome maybe in their own country. They've been exiled. Alien. You think of the movie, lots of you with corrupt minds. Aliens. Yeah, that was a kind of a troubling movie. Well, What we need to do, but we don't have a tendency of doing as Christians, is we need to think of those labels and think of them as applying to us. The Bible applies those labels to Christians. And one huge problem that we have is that we don't realize who we are as we live our lives in this world. And it's true, Christians are called other things. We'll talk about those things. But if you don't understand that In the here and now, living in the here and now, you're an alien, you're a stranger, and you're an exile. It's going to be really hard for you to make sense of your hard life and your complicated life. And it's going to make make it very hard for you to understand if God loves you and cares for you and you belong to Him and He belongs to you, why does your life feel the way it feels? We've got to remember that we are exiles. We are strangers and we are, what's the third one? Aliens. Awesome. But it seems so weird. I'm standing four miles away from the house I grew up in and lived my whole life till I moved out and went to college. I don't think of myself as an alien in in Omaha, Nebraska. This is my hometown. I don't think of myself as not belonging, exiled, stranger. I know Omaha like the back of my thumb. I went to Northwest High School. I can almost hit it with a rock. Not bragging, by the way. But I... Never mind. But the New Testament... First Peter is where we are. So if you have a Bible, you can go to First Peter. The New Testament borrows Old Testament language and uses it to apply to Christians. We've got to understand, and depending on your translation that you're using, but we have stranger, alien, exile. We've got to think of ourselves in those terms. And that's like thinking of yourself like you're an Old Testament Israelite. 
So if you maybe think of Daniel, okay, in the book of Daniel, the beginning of the book of Daniel, Daniel is a Jew, he's an Israelite believer, but because of another ruler conquering and having dominion over, now we have the Babylonian king taking them into exile. And now Daniel doesn't get to be in Jerusalem anymore. He doesn't get to be where he's familiar. He's a stranger, he's an alien, he's exiled. And yet he's still called to believe the right way in a way that would honor God and live in a way that would still honor his God even though he's not where he wants to be. Okay, that gets borrowed from the Old Testament. Peter uses it and he uses it for people like us and he says things like this, so we can have joy even amidst trials. And it really is helpful. So much of our Christian life is perspective. Why are all these bad things happening? Why all of this conflict? Why, 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 why? And it's really important when we are hearing other voices say, you're supposed to be having your best life now. Stranger, exile, alien, it's going to make a lot more sense of your life. Okay? So, we're in First Peter. It's helping us to understand how we are to view ourselves until Christ returns. It's equipping us. It's helping us to think. It's helping us to have perspective. And that's what's going on. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So, if you have a Bible, you can look at First Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 and following. I'm not sure how far we will get this morning. Um, but we won't finish the chapter, that is for sure. We are celebrating the Lord's Supper, which is what we do in remembrance of Jesus. And it actually fits First Peter chapter 1 quite well because we're remembering who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And that helps us to have perspective because Jesus is not here right now. So, ready? Hope you're ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's jump right in. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... I wish I would have read that with not so much oomph. Because we're going to look at the next statement first, and then we'll go back to those two. Okay? Here we go. Here's the main command. Set your hope fully. There's the command. We're going to talk about that mainly. Set your hope fully, Mr. and Mrs. Christian and kids. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a great picture. It's forceful. It's our command. It's our imperative, if you prefer. We're to rivet our attention. We're to affix our minds or fix our minds on something and really it ends up being someone. So how do I live my Christian life? Peter is saying, having given us all the introductory stuff, you live your Christian life, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fix your mind. I want you to permanently focus your attention on something amidst your exile. Amidst, amidst your strangeness in a strange land, Mr. and Mrs. Stranger. Fix your mind. Set your minds on something. But do notice, I'm using mind, I'm borrowing it. He says hope. Set your hope. Well, he's engaged the mind to do this, and we'll come back to that. And we've already learned in First Peter, it's not, I hope so, hope. You're you're setting your hope, you're fixing your hope not on the stuff that you have that's going to break and wear out, including relationships. 
It's on something that can't be broken and worn out. Look, go ahead and look with me earlier in chapter 1. Okay, So in chapter 1, we knew he gave us kind of the, the, the preview that he was going to do this to us because in chapter 1, verse 1, he calls Christians elect exiles. Elect all the great things you have in Christ in redemption. Exiles, what you're experiencing in the here and now. It's kind of shorthand for the whole book. But then drop down with me, if you would, at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. See, this is the hope that we have. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. So it's not a I hope so hope or a dead hope. It's a hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And since his resurrection already happened, our hope is a confident hope because it's based upon something that's already happened for us. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation or deliverance ready to be revealed at the last time. Last time is a good reference back to our statement in verse 13. Uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's that last time. And then if you drop down, I know I'm talking fast because we've got a lot to do and this is pretty exciting. Drop down to verse 7 halfway through, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's his, his revealing, referring to his second coming again. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then he talks about how the prophets talked about this and the angels are impressed with this too. And now we come back to verse 13. Fix your hope. Fix your, not I hope so hope, but fix your confident hope, the hope that is in the already resurrected Jesus. Fix your hope on that, Pat the stranger. That's what he's saying. So here's what we want to do. We want to be living our lives, no matter what you're doing as a Christian, going through life, hopefully not tripping because you're looking upward, but metaphorically speaking, you're looking upward. Christ has already secured for me resurrection, new life, new body. Christ has already secured for me forgiveness, eternal redemption. It's protected, kept in heaven for me. It's personal and it's ready to be revealed, not ready to be worked on by you and God or whatever. It's ready to be revealed. It's there. And see, that is the Christian's hope. That's why we call the blessed hope. Another way of putting it, the author of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on whom? It's on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So the Christian life, so much of it, even though we do other things, even though we're identified in other ways, as we have our conflicts and our struggles because we're alien stranger exiles, we're marching through life so heavenly minded that we are earthly good. Because I can tell you, if you're not heavenly minded, you're not going to be very earthly good because you're going to be consumed with your circumstances and paralyzed by them. Fixing our hope on what is to be revealed in Christ as good as done because His work is done. 
And now you, you've got some traction. Now you can do some Danieling, if you will. Exiled in Babylon, pretty successful life and ministry. If I could take every Christian I know, including myself, and I need some helping by the hand, and, and help disciple them and get them thinking this way, this, this, would, this would be where it is. If we can think in these terms, it's not going to take our problems away, but it's going to give us perspective that is freeing, that is helpful. Now, how do we set our hope fully? I want to endeavor um, to answer that question. So we'll see how many different answers there are. Um, But if you're dying to take notes, we're going to answer that question. How do we set our hope fully? And I think our text tells us in different ways. So again, what does this have to do with your life? It has everything to do with your life. We begin by answering it. How do we set our hope fully? It starts by understanding the therefore. Understanding the therefore, which is kind of hard to say. Let's understand the therefore. Okay? He begins that verse, doesn't he, in verse 13, saying therefore? I'm so far ahead of my notes, I don't even know. Yeah, verse 13, therefore preparing. So therefore... Just take a moment on this, but that becomes really important. How am I going to set my mind fully on what is to come in my identity in Christ? Because my identity right now is not so much on the elect side, even though I know it's true. It seems just like a lot more it's on the stranger side. So how do I affix my hope? Well, it starts by understanding the therefore. Here's what's happened. He's already told us about all of this awesome inheritance stuff that's ours. And it's ours because of what Jesus did. He was raised from the dead. It's already accomplished because Jesus did all that he did in his life and then being crucified for sinners and being raised from the dead. It proves he's successful. And he did all of those things on behalf of everyone who would ever believe. He didn't do it for himself. He didn't need to do it for himself. All of that is done. All of that is taken care of to the point where it's an, an inheritance guarded, ready to be revealed we're going to even see graciously not because of what we earn therefore do something right before before the therefore it's don't do something just stand there this is what God in Christ has graciously done Now, because of what He has done, and you've been born anew, and you have the Spirit of God in your life, now act. Now, do something. Act the right way, He's going to say. So, and if you like using more sophisticated language, and if you like theological categories, and even literature categories, you've got the indicative. Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead. Indicative. Done action. And then after that, because of that, only because of that, you have the what? The imperative. 
And when you reverse the imperative and the indicative, you get something other than Christianity. But Peter is thinking like a Christian. This is already done and taken care of, and now we exhort, now we challenge, now we tell Christians to do things in light of what Christ has accomplished. Now live a certain way, and you can live boldly. You can live on the edge. You can live with confidence. So therefore is where it starts. How can I, how can I set my hope? Well, I know that what has already been done secures my eternal destiny. And so I can make a lot more sense of life. When it doesn't feel like God loves me, when it doesn't feel like God is taking care of me, when other people are against me, when there's all kinds of conflict, when I'm against me. And it could be paralyzing where I'm not going to start doing anything till I get my life all sorted out. And guess what? It's not going to get all sorted out, but it actually is all sorted out because you're united to Christ by faith. Now do something. It's awesome. This is why we talk about now we want to do things out of gratitude because of our being united with Christ. So you've got to keep that in mind first or you'll, you'll be totally confused. You're going to hear the command and it's going to be, all right, I'm going to get busy. Right? Good old Nebraska, get her done. Or that's Mater. I don't know. I'm confused. I've been a dad for too many years. Maybe a Nebraskan too. And now you're going to fail because you're busy getting her done and you're either going to be a self-righteous piece of work that nobody wants to be around because you're getting her done. Yeah, right. We'd like to talk to your family about how you're getting her done. Or you're going to know you're not getting her done. And you're going to be a mess and consumed probably with your relationship with God because it's not good. Jesus did what he did, verses 1 to 12. Comes to us by faith, not by works. And now, therefore, fix your hope and he's going to call you to do things. Got it? Did you get it? <laughs> I hope so. Where were we? Okay, still answering the question, how do we fix our hope? By dealing with the therefore perspective, so it's perspective, but also he gives us these two ways at the beginning of verse 13, preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. Some of you might have an, uh, uh, an older translation because literally it's girding your minds for action. Uh, girding the loins of your mind. Isn't that a weird image? I don't usually think of my loins and my mind, but anyway, we're going to keep things on the up and up. Girding the loins of your mind doesn't mean anything to us. Uh, maybe in our culture we would say, rolling your sleeves up. Because you're going to do stuff. Right? You're going to get busy. But in, in the old ancient world, you girded your loins, you pulled up your toga or whatever it's going to be, you pulled up your manskirt, and, <laughs> and you tucked it in your belt. Right? You secured everything because you were either going to, one, go to battle, or two, you were going to engage in sports. 
battling on that kind of field. The idea, though, is you're prepared, right? Laces are tied, sleeves rolled up. You're going to actually do some things now. So how do we fix our hope on the coming revelation of Christ, our ultimate security, our new life, new resurrected bodies? How do I live in the here and now? It starts by this being a mental thing. I'm cinching up my mind. I'm focusing my attention. Uh, Christianity is a mind religion. It's not that it's not, not physical as well. It's both, but it's not a just disengage your mind and things kind of happen. No, we're engaging our minds for action. We're, we're, we're clear thinking about this. We're clearly thinking about Jesus and what He's done. If you're not clearly thinking about what He's accomplished and what He's done and how that uh, influences your coming hope, you're going to be not succeeding. So our, our, our minds are ready, engaged. We're thinking about Christ. We're thinking about the gospel. By the way, this happens here weekly. Um, by the way, in celebrating the Lord's Supper, we're doing this in remembrance of Him. It's part of engaging our minds. We're remembering what He's accomplished so we can trust in Him and amidst our alienness, it keeps our hope where it needs to be and encourages us and it helps us along because we've got our minds girded, prepared, thinking. It's why we study the Bible. It's why we talk about these things. It's a way to bring our minds back into, into, into place. It's why you read your Bible. It's why you want to meditate on these things. Because how can I keep my, my focus, my hope focus, focus where it needs to be instead of on Pat, which is just going to be a problem. Got to have my mind fresh. Got to have my mind thinking. Not passive, but active. And then he also tells us being sober-minded. So it's minds for action, also being sober-minded so our minds aren't impaired. Sure, that could be literal drunkenness, but I wouldn't want to limit it to that. I don't want my mind impaired by anything. It's going to distract me from having a clear, focused, sure perspective on the hope that is in Christ and His finished work and that is yet to be revealed but will be revealed when He returns. I don't want to have impaired judgment about that because of foolishness that people peddle or tell me or my own foolish heart tells me sometimes. Pat, be sober-minded. Don't, don't listen to that crazy person. Don't listen to that Yahoo. Don't listen to that friend. Don't listen to that neighbor. Don't listen to that sibling. Don't listen to that parent. Don't listen to that grandparent. Don't listen to anybody who's giving you these things that just intoxicate your mind on things that aren't true about your life as an elect exile. I'm going to turn that off. I'm going to be sober. I'm going to be clear-headed, clear-thinking. I don't think this means we can't have any fun because we're always so sober. The Bible talks about happiness. It talks about sadness. It talks about the whole breadth of emotions. I, I, I think he was really trying to do something... Uh, Admirable, but I think John Wesley was wrong when he said that this means Christians should avoid all lightness as they would avoid hell. And they sh certainly should avoid laughing. I'm not going to tell you that. I think he meant well with what he was trying to do. 
right? You catch the spirit of it. If all we're ever doing is laughing and all we're ever doing is experiencing circumstance, that's going to be a problem. But we're sober-minded about the things of God in Christ, specifically about what is ours in Him, united to Him by faith, and He's coming again for us so I can live my life as a better exile. This is how we cope. This is how we have joy. This is how we have perspective. Now he's going to give us another little uh, angle here. It's kind of heavy. Is this heavy stuff? Somebody said to me, uh, I, I was talking to someone yesterday, and they said, I, they said, what are you preaching tomorrow? I said, I'm preaching First Peter, you know, and the call for, for action. And He's like, oh, that'll be easier for you. You used to do that all the time. What they meant was, it was only ever that without the therefore attention. Because that's kind of how, and the person said, because that's how we were trained in preaching. Always look for the imperatives and let them have it. Okay? I'm not giving you that today. Okay? If, if at this moment you're, you're feeling guilty because of what you're hearing me say, I need to take you by the hand and we need to have a little come to Jesus meeting. Okay? And what I mean by that is, before the therefore, when you trust in Christ, the inheritance is yours. Not because of what you've done, but because of what He's done. Now the therefore says, get busy. And so I'm saying, get busy. As you look to Christ, get busy continuing to look to Christ and have that motivate you. And now pretty soon we're going to get into the stuff where you might feel guilty. But really the way to do this is to go here where we have confidence and then we go here and we're going to act in light of the confidence that is ours in Christ. I guess I just stopped for a moment because some of you were looking like you were in pain. No, we're going to get to that. This is just all the fun stuff. I would venture to say that lots of people you know don't understand this is how Christianity works. Indicative, then imperative. Oh, by the way, it's actually not that way. It's imperative, and none of us can do it. Christ has graciously done it, so we have indicative. This is what he's done. And in light of that, we have imperative because we do what we do now because we're new creatures in Christ. Wow, this is good stuff. Okay, now, we also are going to keep our hope fixed. There's another way, and that's by remembering that we're children, that we're obedient children, not just obedient people. How about verse 14? We got to the next verse. This is amazing. Verse 14. As obedient children. And I wrote in my margin, see verse 4. I'm an inheritor. I'm, an, I'm a child. I'm not obedient servant. He's not doing that. As obedient children do this. I already have the inheritance. I'm already in the family. And obedience for me, if I'm a child in the family, looks way different than obedience for me as a servant. I've already been adopted in. I'm not looking to impress them so that maybe they'll somehow take me in. 
I'm already in as obedient children. How should Christians obey? Christians should obey as obedient children. We already have the confidence of the indicative. We already have the confidence of being in because of what Christ has done. So now the call to obedience is a call to obedience as those who are already in. Obedient children. That's going to help me to keep my hope fixed. I'm already a child. I'm already a child. I'm already a child. I'm already a child. And then he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So, keep my hope fixed. It's going to get me through perspective-wise whether it's bad things happening to me physically or those I love, bad things happening to me when it comes to persecution, bad things happening to me socially, bad things happening to me because of my own inflicted stupidness, or whatever it is, the world is broken and we live broken lives, right? As, as someone once said, I, you know, hello, my name is Pat and I have a problem. I'm dysfunctional. I lead a dysfunctional life. I have a dysfunctional wife and I have a dysfunctional brood of kids. <laughs> right? It's broken. Perspective to get through this is I've got to keep my hope fixed. And one way that's going to help me to keep my hope fixed as I'm living this strange life is I'm going to want to obey as an obedient child who already belongs. And then he's going to tell us a little bit how to do it. When he says, not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. He uses the word for lust, strong desire. Uh, it's not always negative, but here it's for sure negative. It used to be, I did whatever I felt like doing and I could get away with doing. Whatever I want to do because it feels right or what somebody else told me it was okay. And that's how I used to live my life. I'm in charge. I'm the sovereign. I'm the king of my own universe or whatever it may be. And he's saying, hold it. No, no, that's not how it works. You now belong to God by virtue of what he's done for you in Christ. Uh, you're part of his family now. And he's, where he's going to go is now you should act like God. Not as in deity, but as in holiness. So now I, I want to live differently. Instead of being squeezed into the mold, my old mold of ungodliness, of behavior, thinking, worship, whatever, it's time to not do that anymore. Not because if you're really good enough at it, God will accept you, but because you're already a child. An obedient child. We're not going to get into it this morning, um, but later on, he's going to spell some of these things out. Like in chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about malice, deceit, hypocrisy. You know, let's just choose hypocrisy for now. Yeah, go to church, all this Jesus stuff, do this in remembrance of me, and we sing how great Jesus is, and we talk about being born again and having a new nature, living for God's honor, even though we're strangers, pilgrims, aliens, and all these things. And hypocrisy would be for me to say all of those things. Oh, yes, indicative, imperative, i got to figure it out. I'm going to go to theology for breakfast, women of the word, CTA. Hypocrisy would be, and then live like none of it happened. And so this book addresses that. 
And we need to remember that. If we're going to be good in our elect alien status in the here and now, we are focusing on Christ coming back, fixing our eyes, riveting our attention. And part of that is living like an obedient child to God because of what He's done for us and not living a big, fat, hypocritical life. It is what it is. And, and that, that does come and will come as a scolding if you want to use those terms. It's not legalism. We're already in by grace. It just makes sense is what it does. If you have a new nature, you were spiritually dead, now you're alive, why would you be trying to wedge yourself back into conformity of who you were before? That doesn't make sense. That, 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 that's crazy. So this, you can apply this in any, anywhere you want. You can talk about your, your life at home. You can talk about your life at work. You can talk about how you think, how you act, how you treat your spouse if you're married, your kids if you're a parent, your friends, your enemies. Christians are supposed to seek to imitate Christ because they're waiting for Him to return and they belong to Him. That's not legalism. That's just Christian living. God, help me to know how to live in a complicated world. I'm not really sure how to do it. I make fun sometimes of people deifying Daniel because we shouldn't do that. But Daniel actually is a really good example of all of this. It's not where he wants to be, not the circumstances he likes. He's in a tough spot. A lot of people don't like him. But his desire would be when he's in Babylon, even though he wants to be in Jerusalem, And he longs for that day when life is easier, even when it comes to living out his Christian principles, if you will. He still does it and is responsible to do it. He doesn't do it perfectly. He has to have a Savior too. How else can I say this before we stop? First Peter will keep helping you, okay? First Peter will keep helping you. We're, we're, we're all in pilgrim status, if you will, pilgrim alien status. So we're going to trust in Christ and then seek to live a way that would honor Christ. If you've never trusted in Christ, it's no wonder why you have a hard time living to honor Christ. So we trust in Christ first and then we seek to honor Him. And I'll tell you, if you're not honoring Christ in you fill in the blank way, Stop. Hypocrisy is stupid. It's dishonoring the Lord. It's not helping you. It doesn't make any sense. You were spiritually dead. If you're trusting in Christ, you're spiritually alive and you have the fruit of the Spirit. If you are a kid behaving badly and you're a Christian, that, that that's, doesn't make sense. If you're a husband behaving badly, if you're a wife behaving badly, if you're a... Right? Just fill in the blank. We're not going to eat the bread and drink the wine and then instantly just start swearing about it. Never seen that in my life. Don't expect to see that. Instantly treating others badly instantly you fill in the blank. 
fixing our hope on Christ. By the way, doing this in remembrance of me is designed to help us to fix our hope. So by God's grace, let's at least get it out the front doors when the taste is still in our mouth and get it to the car and get it to the home and get it to the bedroom and get it to the living room and get it to... You get the idea. How, God, how can I live through this terrible world? Have you seen what's on the news lately? I was going to stay a station, but I don't want to split the church. (laughs) And then my life, God, please. And then my relationships, God, please. And then my thoughts, God, please. It won't always be this way. It won't always be this way. And Christians are called to live now for good now, but in light of what will be true in a time when it won't be this way. We need to pray and be done and we'll talk next time about how God is holy. Father, thank you for these men and women and boys and girls who come here and who are here this morning. Lord, may our trust be in the trustworthy one and not in our circumstances and not in ourselves. So... So many times we we would do it for people if we could, but we know that we can't change people. Only you can, but we know that you do. So please work in hearts through your word, through the power of the Spirit, through the church, so that we would be strangers and aliens that would honor Jesus instead of dishonor him. And that we could do this so that we might have joy amidst the ups and downs. Thank you for your grace and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.